So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we always do, to join us here this morning, and we trust that you are here among us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I would like to say a word to you about Jonah this morning, but first I want to tell you that it was my mother who ruined my life. (laughs) Perhaps not in some sweeping, overarching, cataclysmic way. Most of her influence on me was, and I think is, wonderful, but she did definitely cripple me with an inability to be relaxed about being on time. Perhaps you're like this. Uh, I start having like heart palpitations, if it looks like I'm going to be late. Uh, Those of you who have ever had lunch with me probably have seen this. Uh, Usually when you arrive, I'll have been there huddled in my car in the parking lot for 20 minutes. Uh, That's 99% of the time. The other 1% of the time when you get there, you'll have gotten five text messages from me explaining all the really good reasons I have for running late and how I promise I'm right around the corner. Please, dear God, don't leave. That's just who my mother made me. Now, not everyone is like this, of course. Some people, normal people, are able to be relaxed about being on time. I remember once uh, riding in a car with a friend, and we were going to be late for a meeting. We were both going to the same meeting. He was driving. I was powerless. And see, my instinct when I'm in a car and I'm going to be late is to turn that car into the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Do whatever I have to do. Put my foot on the floor. Break whatever laws I have to to get to that meeting. My friend had a different philosophy. Almost gave me an aneurysm. Whereas I was thinking, we're running late. Better speed up and do whatever we can to get there as close to on time as possible. My friend's attitude was, well, as long as we're going to be late, I might as well stop in at Circle K for a 64-ounce slushie. (laughs) And he did. I almost went into anaphylactic shock. Can you imagine not only walking into a meeting late and the embarrassment of that, but walking in with a giant, like, slurpee at the same time? I can't imagine... Another time, actually, the same friend, and this guy is apparently the bane of my existence, he picked me up so late to go to a movie that I could tell we were going to miss the first part of the actual movie. Now, I'm somebody who doesn't even like to miss the previews, but missing part of the actual movie, that's a bridge too far. It's unacceptable. I actually refused to go. I turned him away at my door. He went without me and presumably had a great time. I mean, can you imagine, though, getting to a movie after it's already started? It's ridiculous. Would you start reading a book in the middle? Of course not. And yet, and now I'm taking a hard left turn into the sermon, and yet, that's exactly what our lectionary has us doing in the book of Jonah this morning. Did you catch where our reading starts? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's where we're going to start? A second time? No, no, no. 
My mother-induced panic attacks simply will not allow us to begin there. In our reading this morning, we begin in Jonah chapter 3. And God comes to Jonah and tells him to go to Nineveh to proclaim God's message of repentance. Jonah goes, Nineveh repents, and is spared God's judgment. And everyone lives happily ever after. No problems. I looked it up, though. Actually, the first two chapters of Jonah do not appear in our lectionary, ever. You will not hear them read here at St. Francis. So I'm going to tell you that story this morning. Because it is in the first two chapters of Jonah that Jonah experiences the profound nature of God's power. God's judgment. God's love. What theologians will later call the law and the gospel. And he experiences them in an incredibly profound way. So I'm going to tell you that story. The first time, remember, we read God comes to Jonah a second time. The first time God comes to Jonah and tells him to go to Nineveh to call them to the repentance of their sins, Jonah's answer is quite different than it is in our reading. He goes to the port, yes. He gets on a boat, yes. But he gets on a boat going the opposite way. Sally Lloyd-Jones, as she tells the story in her wonderful Jesus Storybook Bible, has Jonah at the port saying, one ticket to not Nineveh, please. (laughs) See, God tells Jonah what to do, and Jonah immediately sets out in the exact opposite direction. And so, as Jonah is on the ship sailing away from Nineveh, The Lord sends a great storm after him. The storm threatens to sink the ship, and Jonah realizes what's going on. He's being judged. His faithlessness is being condemned. His disobedience has caused the storm. He's the reason the ship is about to sink. So he tells the other sailors to pick him up and throw him into the sea. This is Jonah chapter 1, verse 12. Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And the moment that Jonah is thrown into the sea, the storm stops. But does Jonah drown? No. Something extraordinary happens. And you know where this is going, don't you? This is the part of the Jonah story that you probably know really well. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now look. This is almost certainly why the first two chapters of Jonah do not appear in our lectionary. Because this is ridiculous, right? A great fish, three days and three nights. And it only gets worse after Jonah spends chapter 2 praying to God from the belly of the fish. We get this verse in chapter 2 and verse 10. Quote, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Ah, thanks for that image. 
Isn't it funny, though, that we're so resistant to this aspect of Jonah's story? It must be allegory, right? Or metaphor. Something. Or, or, it's a story about the mercy of a God who could speak to Moses through a bush that was burned but not consumed, bring his people out of slavery in Egypt, not around a sea, but through it on dry land, and rose from the dead on the third day. Surely a God such as that can appoint and speak to a great fish. It is a God such as that that we need, by the way, because a God such as that can do the very thing that Jonah objected to in the first place. Send a messenger with good news to a sinful and rebellious people. Because that's what's going on here. That's Jonah's problem. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to reintroduce the Ninevites to him. The people of Nineveh had forgotten God. They'd become rebellious sinners, and God wanted them back. So he tells Jonah to go and tell them to repent and be reconciled to him. And what does Jonah say? No way, God. They don't deserve it. In chapter 4, after our reading this morning, after the fish, even after Nineveh has repented and been spared, Jonah is still mad about it. This is what he says in chapter 4. He prays this to God. O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. I told you, God, this is why I ran away. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were forgiving. And now you've gone and done it. Does that sound familiar? Jonah is angry that God is choosing to show mercy and love to people who don't deserve it. He says, I told you, God, I knew you would forgive the Ninevites. I knew it. And I didn't want you to forgive the Ninevites, so I went away. This is why Jonah, the first time God comes to him, runs. He's like us. We are made profoundly uncomfortable by undeserved grace. Like Jonah, we only want God to come to those that we think deserve him. So God has to show Jonah how he really works. He shows Jonah and us the truth. And to do it, he speaks into Jonah's life in two ways, what theologians have called the two words of God. First, the law. Disobedience deserves judgment. Jonah at least at first, gets the judgment poured out upon himself that he wanted God to give to Nineveh. God sends a storm to judge Jonah's faithlessness. Because there is no running away from God. We can run and hide, but God will always find us. God is not mocked. 
And sin, under this first word of God, always has consequences. So God sends a storm, and Jonah is thrown overboard. That is bad news for faithless sinners everywhere. But it's not the last word. It's not where Jonah's story ends. Because finally, in the midst of disobedience and judgment for that disobedience, there is gospel. There is good news. God comes to the undeserving. God comes to the faithless, to the disobedient. God appoints a great fish to save Jonah's life. And then God sends Jonah with a message of repentance to Nineveh. It's in the belly of the fish that Jonah prays to God, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's saying, I was wrong. Salvation doesn't belong to me to give out as I choose. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is our prayer. Like Jonah, when we're caught out living our life in open rebellion against God, going in the exact opposite direction from the one in which God has called us to go, we find ourselves living in the pit. The waters closing in over us to take our lives, the deep surrounding us, weeds wrapped around our heads. But we can pray with Jonah When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation does not belong to us who would dole it out to the deserving. It belongs to God who gives it to sinners. Look with me, if you would, in your leaflet at the collect assigned for this morning. It's that sort of opening prayer we say right at the very beginning of the service. Here's what we prayed. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Remember that prayer. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and to proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation. Now remember how Jonah 3 starts. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. It's all working properly, right? God calls, 
Jonah goes, the people hear the word of the Lord. But remember where Jonah is when God speaks to him this second time. He is on a beach, drenched to the bone, having just been vomited up by a great fish. His world is changed completely. He has just seen God's power in action. God's two words in action. He has seen the power of God condemn him through the storm and seen the power of God redeem him through a fish. And so we pray, give us grace, O Lord. Because like Jonah, we won't do it on our own to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ. And proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation. His salvation, remember, that doesn't belong to us. We'd give it out only to those who deserve it. God gives his salvation by grace to the undeserving. The story of Jonah is all about this grace. God's grace for Nineveh a city of sinful, rebellious people who don't deserve God's love. But God is faithful, and he sends them a messenger proclaiming repentance and redemption. The story is also about grace for that messenger, Jonah, who resists, who is unfaithful, who runs the other way, who is rebellious. God is faithful. And appoints a great fish to save his life and reset him on his mission. We are Nineveh. We are sinful and rebellious. God has sent his messenger, Jesus Christ, who, like Jonah, spent three days in a darkness like death to proclaim by his life, death, and resurrection a message of repentance and redemption. We are Jonah, annoyed that God chooses to redeem those who clearly don't deserve it. We run the other way. We are faithless. But then God redeems us. When we are drowning, God is faithful. And his grace comes in the most unexpected, ridiculous, and miraculous ways. There is nowhere we can run, no matter how far, that can get us out of the reach of God's saving grace. Nowhere. Our sin runs far, but God's grace runs farther. These are our Savior Christ's marvelous works, that while we were yet sinners, rightly condemned, like Nineveh, like Jonah, he died for us, rescuing us forever. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.